Today, I am talking to my oldest, dearest friend about her own fertility journey. We text multiple times a day and have for decades, so I went through it with her in real time, but I wanted her to come on the show and share her journey to motherhood with you um, because it was complex, not at all straightforward and flat out messy at times. Heather Snyder Ippolito, owner of The Graceful Body, is 45, a mother of two young children and lives in New York. Heather went through a lot to become a mother and she's happy to share her experiences with listeners of the podcast. She's an Alexander Technique teacher, posture coach, and Pilates teacher, and she loves helping others and raising awareness of infertility in any way she can. In this episode, we share an intimate chat about everything that she went through, including multiple diagnoses, multiple procedures, getting pregnant, and finally adoption. We leave nothing out, so let's get started. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hey, Heather. Welcome to the podcast. So exciting to see you. I'm so happy to be here on your podcast. All right. So first of all, tell the audience how we know each other. So Melissa and I were in college together in the dance department. So we met when we were both um, young dancers trying to find our way in the world (laughs) at Hofstra in like 1995 or six or something like that. So it's been a very, very long time. And then we, um, that you want like the full story, like that, the next part of how we met too. Sure. Why not? How we, well, first of all, just to back up a little bit, we didn't actually know, like we knew who each other was in college and we actually performed in a couple of the same pieces together, but we weren't close. And the reason for that was because I thought, you were a bitch because all of your friends were bitches. And you thought I was a bitch because all of my friends were bitches. And in the meantime, like we didn't know that we each hated our friends and we should have just been hanging out that whole time. That is the best explanation I have ever, ever heard. But it's true. It's true. So we, we didn't know it was a wasted friendship time. Yeah. 
And then we re-met after college when we were both in the Institute of Integrative Nutrition program in 2000 when it first started and it was in a tiny little room and they made us lunch every day. And I'm sure you've probably shared with your followers how you feel about that. So I don't really, we don't need to get into yeah, it. <laughs> I mean, I, it's not a secret um, that I did that program. I haven't really, really talked about it other than the fact that 13 years later, I decided to go on and pursue my, my RD because I felt like I couldn't do anything with that credential. So, um, it's not a credential. I felt like, like I, I had no business doing anything, um, with that. So I went back to get the RD so that I could actually work with people and recommend nutrition and lifestyle and supplement changes. Yeah. So that's how we met. And then we became really close friends. We realized that we liked each other. Yeah. So really, I mean, it's, it's really been almost 20, more than 25 years since we've known each other, but we text every day, even though you're in New York and I'm in New Hampshire. And I probably still hang out with you more than any of my other friends. Cause it's like, we have to make more of an effort to do it. So, you know, you come up here, or I go down there. So, um, yeah. Lifelong yep. friends. Um, but the reason I wanted to have Heather on the podcast um, is because, you know, when we're talking about fertility and subfertility and infertility, more often than not, we're talking about it in the context of PCOS, um, which is not your problem uh, at all. Um, but you have sort of quite the fertility journey story and the, the journey to becoming a mother was absolutely not what you thought it was going to be in the beginning. Um, little bit of background, you know, if, if you think about like at a party where people are, I'm the one in the corner petting the, the party cat, um, Heather's always the one who's got literal armfuls of children, no matter where she goes, she's just surrounded by children. So you always, always knew you wanted to be a mom. Yes, absolutely. Always, always, always. Yeah. All right. I think we should talk a little bit about how you, how your early days of your relationship with your husband, because that was also kind of unconventional. What was like a little bit of that situation? So I was living in New York City. My husband was at the time living in Philadelphia and we met. He is almost six years younger than me. And he likes to joke that I wouldn't kiss him until he told me that he wanted to have babies. I mean, that is actually part of our story. And it wasn't that direct, but he likes to tell people it was that direct. Um, so that was right away sort of a, you know, a conversation. Um, so yeah, we didn't live in the same place for years. We, it was just kind of a very rocky beginning. And then, um, was, I guess it was five years after we got together that we figured some stuff out and we got engaged and he joined the military. So that was a little bit of a detour. He joined the military for three years. So after living in New York, we moved to North Carolina, um, so we spent three years in North Carolina. And then after that, we moved back to New York. And uh, I mean, I'll get into it, but most of my fertility treatments because of my specific issues had to be in New York. So while I was in North Carolina, I was actually coming back for a lot of things in New York. So it was, you know, it was like, a, I've lived in New York most of my life, except for the three years where I 
had to have <laughs> fertility treatments in New York. Yeah, yeah, I remember that being sort of a major theme, um, you know, in all of our conversations back then is how you were just not only the age difference and the location difference, but just you were in different, like you both, it was really obvious in the beginning how much you loved each other and how right for each other you were. It just was like, there were so many things to overcome at that point. Um, and that's, that's almost harder. It's like, you know, when you're, when you can't be with someone because you're not a good fit or, you know, it just not, isn't working out. That's a totally different situation, but when you love each other so much and it's just like, okay, how, how, how is this going to work? You know, our lives come together and work. So we finally figured it out and then we got married and I was 35, about to turn, turn 36. So obviously babies were on my mind and the plan was to just start trying as soon as we were married. Yeah. Even a little bit before you had kind of like started that process. Yeah, right? we were like, yeah, it happens now, whatever. I'll be a little pregnant at the wedding. Yeah. That was always like, ah, oh, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. And you got married in North Carolina and I drove down. Um, so much pork. That's what I remember from like, so everything was pork, not at your wedding, of course, but, um, everywhere was just, I had no idea they could make so many snacks out of pork. Oh, yeah. I, I don't, I didn't eat that then. So, I mean, I, I ate a little bit, but I, it wasn't like a pork eater. So I probably didn't notice it as much as you did. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard to find something that wasn't pork. I thought, I thought in yeah. North Carolina, but it was a beautiful wedding. Hotter, hotter than heck that day. We were all sticking to the seats, but it was lovely. Okay. So now you're in North Carolina, you're married. Um, you decide to officially start trying. So then what happened? So at this point I am 36. And one thing I will just let the listeners know about me is I am a proactive woman when I want something, <laughs> I'm going to make it happen. And I don't sit around waiting for things. Um, I mean, there was part of me at the time that thought everything happens for a reason. And then that's, that clearly was wiped away with my infertility journey. So I was kind of like, I meant to be a mother. This is going to happen. Let me meditate on it. And at the same time, I was like, I'm 36. I need to make sure all my parts are working. Let's get on this. So we tried for, let's say maybe, um, I mean, every month was devastating to me in the beginning. And it's funny to think about how much I bawled that first month when I didn't get pregnant. I mean, I was devastated, like, like I had been through three years of infertility and IVF. I was devastated that first month, you know, so I, I wised up a little bit and realized, okay, okay, this is not quite happening yet. So four months go, five months go. And then on a trip back to New York, I decided to go to my gynecologist in New York, who I really loved, and she's super proactive about things. And I said to her, I, I know it's only been, you know, six months, but uh, it's six months and I'm 36. So I was hoping we could just run some tests. I didn't know it at the time because I didn't know what this was until later, but she ran a recurrent pregnancy loss panel. So she, and I'm so grateful that she did this. Um, no other doctor would have done this because why would you do that if you didn't have pregnancy loss? But she just thought, let's run everything. Let's see what could possibly be there and we'll take it from there. So she found, um, there were a few things in there that she wanted me to just follow up about. There wasn't anything specific there. It's more like markers. My whole story is kind of this, a bit of a mystery. Um, 
So she found some markers. And one of them was that I had an I, a high ANA level, anti-nuclear antibody. So when I saw that, I had alarm bells going off in my head because when I was 19, I was going through some other health thing. And um, when someone had run a, a, a test panel, they found high anti-nuclear antibodies. Now, what that is an indicator of is that there's some kind of autoimmune thing going on in your body. It doesn't mean they know what it is. It doesn't mean there's an autoimmune disease. It means there's something. And when I was 19, there was nothing found. Um, and I was told it might be high for years and you know nothing will come of it. So move on with your life. So I basically forgot about it because you know I was fine. Um, but when I saw that with the, the pregnancy stuff, I was like, okay, maybe this is where something is a little bit off. So because I'm me, I made two appointments at two different fertility doctors. So two REs, reproductive endocrinologists in North Carolina. And then I also did a bunch of Googling and um, looking up high ANA count, how that relates to pregnancy. And I found some articles and some videos um, kind of talking about certain connections that made me at least go, oh, there's something called a reproductive immunologist. Never heard of that before. I'm going to go see that person too. So I found from my research, from looking online, um, Jeffrey Braverman, who has since passed away, which is completely devastating. Just so for, if anyone wants to go Googling his name, Jeffrey Braverman is the doctor. Andrea Vidali is who has taken over his practice um, because the practice is still there. So I, I'll get to that in a second, but just in case anyone, you know, starts. Yeah, because just to put that. it in perspective, at that time yeah. that I knew of, there were only three mm -hmm. in the U.S. In the US. Yes. Um, I believe yeah. Dr. Kwok Kim is the what she's in, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, I know someone who had gone to her and then I put you in someone in California, I think. I think that was it. It was New York, Chicago, and California. That was it. So for me, when I saw this, I was like, okay, I'm making an appointment. I have to go see him. I didn't get an appointment for probably um, six weeks. I had to get all the blood work first. And I'm like, you know, 18 vials of blood work. He does extensive blood work. In the meantime, I went to see these two REs in North Carolina, and both of them said a version of the same thing, which is they did tests as well, but they didn't do the extensive immune test. They said, everything looks fine. You know, you're a little bit older. We don't really know what's going on. One person basically just said, because I feel like REs generally are, they're solution oriented. And even if they don't know why something's happening, they're like, just do these things. So one said, well, I would recommend you could try IUIs if you want, but you know, maybe you should just give IVF a try. And I was like, uh, okay, um, that's it. Like there's nothing else to look at. And the other RE basically said the same thing. They said, I'm wondering if there was anything different about it. One was a little more firm and one was a little bit more like, maybe you've got a little bit more time. So that was that. And I said, this is not it. I just knew in my gut, there's something going on with my system. Oh, the one thing that did one of the Aries did say, and this was very significant because it um, it pushed me in this direction that he told me not to go in. So he basically said, because I was reading a book about uh, reproductive immunology, because of it. Before I get my appointment, I'm just going to read a book about it. And I said, I've been reading about this, and I think this might have something to do with what's going on with me. And he said, that's all quackery. Right. That's the word he used. It's quackery. It's, it's fringe. It's like, they don't have any studies for this. 
don't, don't do this. Don't go down that road, which really just made me want to go down that road right. more. Um, of course you have that, that so, same rebel streak. I do like the fastest way to get you to do something is to tell you not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So those parties were basically like, this is all crap. I'm like, um, wow. Okay. Thank you for your time. You didn't offer solutions and you told me this is quackery. I'm waiting for Braverman. So, um, in the meantime, we're still trying every month. Um, I did, I was connected with a local doctor there where we decided to start doing IUIs. Um, and that was before that was knowing I was seeing Braverman, but it was kind of like, why not? Let's just get everything. Right. right, Exactly. Like my insurance covered those in North Carolina. Let's just get everything started. Let's just do everything. Cause again, that's how I I kind of operate. So I did go to see Dr. Braverman. Um, I think we had done one IUI at that time and, you know, nothing came of it. And we went to see Braverman and he looked at all these extensive test results. And I, I wish I could explain what everything is, but I still don't understand the depth of all of it because it was so much more complicated than my non-medical brain could handle. But he found a lot of factors in my system that he thought related to um, immune issues with my reproductive system. So one thing at that appointment that he said was based on some of these factors that he sees and an ultrasound that he did, he thought I might have some silent endometriosis. And I was like, what? You think I have endometriosis? Like I know people that have endo, this is not it. But so we, we, he told me that we did a physical and then, you know, we had our consultation where he just told, talked through everything. And immediately I adored him. I was amazed at the extent of knowledge that he had. Um, what basically seemed to be the issue with, and I'm going to say this in kind of layman's terms, but my reproductive system, my uterus seemed to be rejecting embryos trying to implant or rejecting the, basically rejecting so pregnancy. Like before I would- Remind me. So at this point, had you had any chemical pregnancies yet or? No, but I was, I was about to have okay. one. Yeah. And the reason, and so I was about to have my first, um, getting pregnant for the first time and we had done an IUI and he, um, there was something that he, I forgot what it was. Cause it was, a, it was a while ago, but, um, something that we use for the IUI was, um, an immune system suppressor, which is what I ended up using a lot to get pregnant, but there was something in that um, that the doctor in, in uh, North Carolina used. And I did get pregnant for a week or so. I was the happiest I'd ever been in the world at the time. And, um, and then that went away, but Braverman felt like it was sort of a clue because some, some of the immune suppression, um, that's what he planned to do. seemed like that might be a key to something. So with Braverman, he suggested I get the endometriosis surgery because it is the only way to know if you have endometriosis, which is a terrible way to have to find out, but it is what it is for now. They are working on a blood test. Um, I thought it was supposed to come out a couple of years ago and I I haven't heard anything about it recently, but some marker that they can look at. Has to be. I mean, there's gotta be a better way than having to cut somebody open. But we did the surgery and actually Andrea Vidali is the one who did the surgery, the one that runs Rayburn's practice now. And he was amazing. I adored him as well. 
And they found a lot of endometriosis on my left ovary, which was pretty shocking at the time. Mm -hmm. So what we planned after that is I recovered and then I was going to do, he didn't say jump to IVF. He said, I think it's your, Chris was fine. My husband, um, he said, I'm ovulating. There was no issue with me ovulating. Um, it, it was that my immune system was like over, it was overactive. It was just so overactive that it was like foreign invader, foreign invader, get out. So the first round of anything that I did with him was an IUI and I was on four different medications. Um, prednisone was one of them for the immune suppressing factor. There was something else that was also an immune suppressor. There was a Lovenox because I had a clotting issue that they found. Um, oh, and intralipids because I had overactive natural killer cells in my uterus. So now I have got a million medications. And again, I, my gut told me this, this is, this is right. This is what's going on. It's all immune system stuff. I trusted him Prep. completely. What is it? Make sure we fully covered all the things. Cause you yes. also had an MTHFR, correct? Yes, 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 very true. Didn't, mm-hmm. Did you have any of the genetic um, Ashkenazi markers as well? I did. Actually. Okay. Nope. But that also is kind of yeah. partly. Yeah. yeah, they tested for all of that and I was surprised. But that yeah. also, because um, your husband's not Jewish. So it's sort of like a yeah. little better to like, you know, not have that higher risk, of a risk factor. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, my mother went through that when she was pregnant. So, um, so I did all those medications for my first round of IUIs. And, um, this is, this is probably a year. This is a year, a full year after I started a year and two months after I started trying to get pregnant. So now we're, you know, pretty far down the line. Um, and I got pregnant and it was an absolute miracle. It was like, holy shit, all the things that he said were going to work. Yeah. Works. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to talk about this later. I'm pretty public about all the infertility journey that I've been through. And this is, I'm, I've already thought about this and I'm open to talking about it. This is the one part that I, I'm not open about really on social media. Um, but I'm talking to you and I know people listening are probably interested and a different breed of person. And and also it's, it's part of the reason why I fight so hard for the things that I fight so hard for. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you're pregnant. How far pregnant are you? You're like, everything's wonderful. Pregnancy was good. So at 10, 10 weeks, 11 weeks, I guess it was like 10 and a half weeks. We went for our nuchal scan where they, they check the thickness of, um, the neck. Yeah. People, yeah, in, in the neck, and then they do blood tests. So basically, in the checking of the nuchal scan before we got any of the blood work back, they it was this was probably, I would say it was probably one of one of the worst days of my life. It's like way up there this specific day, because they found that something was very wrong, and they didn't know what it was. They just saw that the the intense thickness of the of that was not that of a healthy child. So they basically gave us a choice then. Do you want to do the the CBS test? I forgot what that stands for. It's um, Cryonic delay sampling. Yeah. Like one where like more intense than the amniocentesis, right? Yeah. And the one you can only, you can do it at this stage. You can't you do the amnio later, but this is one you can do around this time. So we did it that day where they 
they basically, I think they just stick a large needle up you and poke and get some DNA. And so we got the results back two days later and the baby had chromosomal abnormalities that were not what that were maybe consistent with life. Maybe not. They weren't sure if I would get to the point of delivering. And if I did, this would not be a healthy child. And it was just pretty much hell to decide if we wanted to terminate the pregnancy or if we wanted to go forward with it. There was also a risk that there would be some, um, difficulties for me if I went forward with the pregnancy. Um, Being a geriatric so we decided, pregnancy, right? <laughs> right. Me and my old age, plus with my immune system stuff, it was all, mm-hmm. you know, it's just all extra weight on everything. So we decided to terminate the pregnancy and, um, and it wasn't like, you know, I remember it's so funny that weeks. like now, now we think of down syndrome as almost like, oh, it's, you know, most people carry forward when they have a down syndrome, you know, chromosomal abnormality. Actually, I learned that 90% of people really? don't. I didn't know that. Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. I learned all these stats while doing it. Of this. course you did. Of course um, you did all the research backwards and forwards, upside down. <laughs> so that was, that was hell. I mean, yeah. that choice, make a choice after something we fought so hard for. Um, it was pretty brutal. And so, but after I grieved a bit, I sort of went into, um, push forward mode because what we decided to do was go for IVF because if we, we know I can get pregnant now, so let's go for IVF and we know I'll get pregnant. We'll test the embryos, put in a healthy one. I'll never have to go through that Mm -hmm. again. So we did that. I did two, we got, um, I did my egg retrieval. I got a bunch of eggs. There were two that were found to be healthy embryos. So once I, my body was ready and now we're like six months later down the line after, you know, that loss, um, they put in an embryo and it doesn't take, and it doesn't and work. You're, now at and this point, are that, you like almost 38 or turning 38? Yeah, I must be 38 by that yeah. point. Yeah, I'm definitely 38. So that was probably the lowest in the fertility journal journey, because what I realized at the time was I was holding off my grief mm-hmm. a little bit because I'm going to get pregnant again. I just need to get pregnant again. I'm going to get pregnant again. I didn't realize I was doing that until I didn't get pregnant. And I completely fell apart Yeah. because I just assumed it would work. How could that not work? I know I can get pregnant. The medications work. Perfect embryo. I, everything lined up. Yeah. Yep. completely fell apart. So and they don't, they don't know why. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't know why sometimes you just don't know why. Um, I feel like a lot of this is like the right medical help and luck. Um, so we don't know why I had one more embryo to go, but at that point I didn't feel good about it because how could one of them not, how could this not work? And then the second one didn't work. So that was it. That was IVF. And then I just went into like a very deep grief because I assumed that I would still be having a baby. Um, and now it was sort of in question because IVF was sort of like the, like the ACE in the hole. Yeah. Um, 
And I even remember back then because you're talking about like the gender because didn't you have one of each or, but you didn't know which one they, they implanted, but you could look at the paperwork yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. There was, I think there was one of each that both went away. So but, yeah. yeah. So yeah, after that, I, I think we, I think I, we were right, right to an IUI. It's like, I can't go through IVF again. And, and like we did one more IUI and it didn't work. And then I just, it just really melted down a bit. And we decided that we were going to take a break. Um, the doctor wanted me off all the medication because I'd been on a lot of immune suppressing meds for a long time. And he said, I want to take a break. I want to go over everything of yours again. And then we can come back to it and try it again. So I took a month off. I tried to take care of myself, focus on myself a little bit. Um, we were planning on moving back to New York at that point. So now we're at the end of our three years in North Carolina. So we were you know, thinking about future stuff as much as possible. We were considering um, adoption kind of looking into that a little bit. And then, um, so that October, so that was a year, a year after the first pregnancy, we, um, so yeah, a year after the first pregnancy. Yeah. So we decided to do an IUI and what's interesting because it is sort of related to PCOS is, and I don't I even know if you know this, that the one thing, cause my, my blood sugar has always been like kind of borderline in some ways. Like I have tendencies towards insulin resistance and as Melissa knows, my diet of eating lots of chocolate all the time without any other healthy foods near it did not help the situation. So, um, you know, there's some, there's some tendency in my family to run towards diabetes. And so I, there was like a slight insulin resistance. And the doctor said, you know, this is really, I don't think it's a big issue. I, I think it's really borderline, but I want you to take metformin. So he put me on metformin in addition to the other four medications. And I did get pregnant that month, which actually I like to tell this story because it's so shows where I was mentally. So I didn't test at home anymore because that was just torture. I just waited for the blood test and kind of knew I wasn't pregnant every month at this point. And that month, um, I didn't test at home. I didn't, I just knew, like, I kind of knew when I was pregnant and I just knew I wasn't. So I went to get the blood, blood test whatever. And then normally they called me if I was pregnant right. <laughs> and the nurse sent me an email and she said, your beta is whatever it was. Congratulations. An email. Wasn't and I was it like, like, Oh, because your beta is this, you should make an appointment for, or something like, it wasn't even like an, a, you're pregnant email. It was like, it wasn't, it was like, it, it, it did say congratulations though. It was like, this is your beta. Congratulations. It didn't say you're pregnant. I mean, I knew what that meant, but it, and my brain wasn't on board. It wasn't processing that at all. So it told me the beta told me, uh, uh, congratulations. And I wrote back and, and I've looked back at these emails and I, it just said, wait, what? With like a million exclamation points, wait, am I pregnant? And she wrote back that I was. And when I called Chris at work, I did not tell him I'm pregnant. I said, I got an email that says I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I, I know I got a screenshot of that probably 15 seconds after you called yeah. Chris too. I was like, I can't, I'm not saying I'm pregnant because I don't think I am, but I was told in an email, like I was so disconnected. I was so shut down, you know, from just protecting myself. And I did not, every other time I told my mother, I was on the, on the phone with her for one of the pregnancy tests I took. I mean, I took it while she was, I'm peeing on a stick and she's on the phone. Um, I didn't tell her until I got the next beta and it doubled because then 
I thought maybe she could handle that a little bit more. So anyway, that's my son and he's five and a half. And I still feel like I can't believe that happened. I still have that feeling of, oh my God, is that real? Yeah. Even through the pregnancy. And I remember having these conversations because it's like, after you get pregnant after a loss or after so many losses and so many things going wrong, it's like, like you never believe it's going to actually result in an actual baby that you actually get to take home from the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's, that's something, you know, like there's all the, while you're going through it, the losses are awful and brutal, but it also, it completely robs you of the ability to have a normal pregnancy. You don't get to hope, you don't get to be excited, you don't get to plan because you never know is this sticking or not. And we, we, I remember joking with you about it because it was like, like, you know, so late in the game thinking about names and things like that. And it's like, maybe I'll name him when he goes to college. Like maybe then I'll believe he's actually really here. Chris and I used to say, we're probably having a baby. (laughs) We might maybe. And then in the ninth month, we looked at each other. We're like, I think, I think we're going to have a baby. It was never, it was, I mean, it was a joke, but we were serious. We just never believed it until he came out and he was crying. It just wasn't something that we like let ourselves believe. We couldn't, we were so traumatized. Yeah. But so the birth was all great, normal. Everything was, was good. Well, the board of sucked, <laughs> but, but, but in terms of like him being healthy, he was totally healthy and him coming out and crying was the moment where I realized, oh my God, he's actually here. This is real. And he's here. Um, still took a little bit to not be a total pack of anxiety of him being a baby, but, um, yeah, I didn't believe it until he was out of my body. And he's great, by the way. He's such a cool kid and he's so smart and so sensitive and so funny. And he's just like, like, I know we waited this long for him, but it's like, okay, he was worth the wait. He was worth it. He's a good yeah, one. <laughs> he, he really is. As a dietitian working exclusively in women's health, I encourage all of my clients to track their cycles and their symptoms, whether they're trying to conceive or not, because knowledge is power. And I not only recommend TempDrop, but I also use it myself. TempDrop gives you everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility. Wear the TempDrop sensor while you sleep for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups or having to remember to track at the same time every day. TempDrop's charting app also allows you to chart signs and symptoms in addition to your BBT, including cervical mucus and ovulation tests. Combine these fertility signs all in one place to identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period, or identify pregnancy. Whether you are trying to conceive, are avoiding pregnancy, or want to chart for health reasons, TempDrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. Identify your fertile window in real time with TempDrop. With TempDrop, know your cycle, understand your body. 
TempDrop has generously offered my listeners 15% off of the TempDrop kit with the code Hormone Dietitian Podcast. Visit tempdrop.com or use the link in the show notes to access the discount. Back to the episode. Okay, so now you have your baby. Yay. Life yeah. is life is beautiful. Yeah. Like you're just in dreamland all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear because there's still like, okay, he's here, right? He's really here. But I just, we worried about SIDS. We worried about, you know, we were like checking his breathing all the time. Yeah, it was, it was rough the first few months, um, you know, and lack of sleep doesn't help and all those things, but he was perfectly healthy. He was he was fine. Um, I think after six months, um, I think things started to kind of settle a little bit inside of me. Like, okay, he's here. I'm here. This is, this is good. This is, this is, I think this is going to go somewhere. Like I even had trouble buying clothes that were for a one-year-old when he was two months, because like, well, I can't, I can't do that. I, I don't know that I'm going to have a one-year-old like that's, I really felt that way. It was kind of like pregnancy. I couldn't buy clothes for when he came. I couldn't buy clothes for when he was one, you know, it was, it was hard. Yeah. And then I think there's this, you know, sort of belief and maybe even amongst women who've struggled with fertility, but that once the baby gets here, everything's going to be beautiful and you're going to be happy and you're never, ever going to get annoyed with your child and you're never going to be Tired. This is what I wanted for so long. Right. And there's yeah. almost kind of a guilt um yeah. about it because you should feel so grateful after fighting so hard to get there. But it's not like early motherhood days are are easy, you know? Yeah, it's complicated. It's it's like there's a huge amount of gratitude and there's fear. And and then parenting is just hard. Like I didn't I didn't think about those parts because I just wanted it so badly. Yeah. So it's like I don't care. It's fine. I can deal with so part of what, ma- what makes Heather and I such close friends is that we're both such extreme off the charts introverts. And so Heather's one of the few people in the world that I can coexist with in a space without her annoying the F out of me. Cause we're just both like, like we could just sit on a couch together for hours and hours and be perfectly happy. Um, but it's hard when you're an introvert. Cause there's some, like you don't get any space to yourself anymore. You don't, your body's not yours anymore. Like all of that stuff that happens with motherhood. Got a factor when the kids are a little bit older and now they're loud and screaming and on top of you that it's like, oh, oh, interest introvert self is screaming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're, yeah, it's motherhood is, is real. Even if you've been through infertility or it was super easy, it's just, it's like entering a whole other thing. And I'm so grateful for it, but it's, you know, and in a way it's, it's nice. Like I, and I've heard other people talk about this with the infertility and the guilt thing that it's like, I went through all that hell. Let me have all the annoyances as motherhood that you guys get to have. Like, let me get to be irritated and not have to be grateful all the time because of what I went through. And I was like, that's a good perspective too. Cause it's hard. Yeah. So um, I didn't ask if I could ask about this. If I can't ask about this, feel free to, oh, to shut up. Um, financials. So Braverman couldn't have so, been cheap and or covered by insurance, right? 
Now, what was covered by insurance with him was um, like the, the, some of the physical stuff, like I think our IUIs were covered. The blood testing was not covered. A lot of that stuff wasn't. I was really lucky because my family helped a lot with mm-hmm. that. Um, and I know that's not something everybody can do. So that that is a factor. All of this stuff is a factor. I mean, some people have also amazing insurance that cover IVF. Um, ours covered parts of things mm-hmm. in terms of procedures and stuff. Um, yeah, it's a lot of money, all of it. It all it adds still up. It feels like, felt kind of like fate that there's only three in the country and you happen to be able to, to live near one, you know, and, and have yeah. access to one. So that I do know, you know, some of the treatments that he did are kind of controversial still and haven't really caught um, a foothold in the conventional world. A lot of conventional reproductive um, endocrinologists really don't consider it. Some of them really are more open-minded and are you know, at least willing to try intralipids and things like that to try to, you know, get down inflammation with some of that stuff. Um, you still don't really know what autoimmune condition you have, right? Like it's, you don't have an autoimmune disease, although some people think endometriosis is an autoimmune disease, but it's still kind of up in the air, but yeah, like I don't have any autoimmune diseases, but my system has autoimmune reactions that are just like a little out of control. Yeah. And it's always been that way. I mean, I remember you seeing a rheumatologist after college for your not rheumatoid arthritis. (laughs) Yeah. Like there's always, yeah. Yeah. My immune system is just a little wacky. So yeah. So, but I mean, I didn't follow my gut with all that. I just would have listened to the people that said, it's not that it can't be that. And I don't know where I would be. But you know, you know, as a dietitian, I'm going to have to ask you like, what was going on with yes. your diet at that, at this throughout yes. all. Okay. So because dietary stuff, it, I mean, it was a big factor for me in all this, but one thing I loved about um, Braverman is he factored that in. He looked at all of that. So I have, um, I have, um, I guess, a. I forgot my, my mind is blank, but I don't have celiac. My family doesn't have celiac, but we have like the pre-existing markers mm-hmm. for it, I guess. So much that like my mother had a blood test has positive for celiac, but when they did the internal checking it out, she didn't have it. So Braverman saw that I had this and he said, just stay away from gluten. And I've done a million tests with Melissa since then. And it's always like, Heather, stay away from gluten. So gluten, you know, (laughs) inflames my body and I don't have celiac and hopefully I won't end up with it. But he definitely was pretty clear on that. And he, and he looked at dietary stuff, which I also loved because that was always mattered to me. I mean, I really cleaned up my diet when I started going through all of this and I was reading more about immune stuff and immune responses. And I was, for the first time I was like, okay, I'm not going to have sugar every day. This is big for me, but I'm not going to have sugar every day. I'm going to have balanced meals with protein and I'm not going to eat gluten. Um, and you know, who knows how much everything played in to help or not help, but I certainly felt better. My periods were better, you know, all kinds of things were better in my body because I um, was just eating a more balanced diet. But I mean, you know, I've known you for so long. You've never eaten a bad diet per se. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I always, 
I always joke yeah. about the fact that you don't go a day without buying a cookie, but I kind of like use you as an example because you never keep cookies in the house. You go and buy one cookie and you eat your one cookie and then you're not tempted to have other cookies, but you've always had a sweet tooth and always been, um, it's hard to get to get you to sit down for like a solid meal. Um, you're just an all day long grazer. And I think some of those things were also contributing, but yeah, when we did your stool test, your anti-gliadin antibodies were off the charts too. And you hadn't been eating gluten. I remember that. Oh yeah. 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 No, no gluten Mm -hmm. for me. Yep. And I'm eating more meals now, which, and it feels better. So yeah. Yeah. Something it's else well. um, that I remember, um, cause you, you did it before I did, uh, but you started eating meat, which you really had. I did. I did start eating meat and you know what? My body liked mm-hmm. it. Good. Yeah. I know that's what happened with yeah. me too. You carry no more. <laughs> My yeah. body likes it a lot. So yeah. yeah, just amazing. Like my body. <laughs> yeah. So like you still have sweet treats and you still have chocolate. Yeah. But I, now that I know, um, I know how I feel when I don't have it in a balanced way. So when I go off on a little, like it's the holidays, I'm going to eat seven cookies because they're in front of me. Mm-hmm. It, you know, now my digestive system feels a difference and I have more anxiety and I just, I just feel crappy. So at least I'm more aware of it now. So I'm, it's a little bit, it's definitely more balanced when I do have it. So, um, your son is not your only child. So no, pretty much have a almost immediately after Benjamin was born, you started planning for your second child because you knew you, it wasn't something that was going to happen accidentally. It was going to take planning? What was, what was that process like? So I knew that I could not go through that again in my body. There was a possibility I could get pregnant again with all of this stuff, but I could not emotionally do that again. So we had always talked about adoption. My husband was really excited about the idea and we just started, I mean, we started researching and kind of figuring out how this process works because we had no idea. Um, we didn't really start getting into it until he was about a a year, I guess, but my daughter is adopted and, um, yeah, that's a whole other, the whole other thing. Yeah. I I don't even know where to start. So you can ask a question and then I'll answer. Yeah. So, okay. As someone sort of observing from the outside and never having gone through the process myself, one thing that I didn't realize was every state has different laws. And I remember that being sort of a problem when you were sort of looking for a baby to adopt if someone was in a different state. Yeah, this is... um this is all a lot of complex stuff in this adoption world. So we are in New York. New York has one of the strictest laws around adoption, which, um, and it's all done in protection of, of an adoptive family and, and the birth mother. It's sort of, you know, hoping to protect people. There are other States that have hardly any rules at all. So, um, because we were adopting from New York, 
we had we had a wonderful lawyer that we were working with. He was explaining to us that we go by New York laws. So that could make the process easier or harder depending on who we connected with in terms of um, the adoption. But before you even get to that step, you have to decide, are you going to go through an agency or are you going to try to connect with a birth mother, an expectant mother at that point on your own? Um, and that is, it's a, it's a big decision that you, each family has to make for themselves. And I'm going to be very like neutral with my wording here. Cause I have some strong feelings about it and I'm, I'm, I'm good to make them known. Um, but I don't want to piss anybody off and misspeak, but I'm sure I'll hear about it if I do. So I will tell you why we decided not to go with an agency. We decided not to because it was extremely important for us to feel like the expectant mother was making this choice on her own. She had all the information. This is what she wanted. And we needed to make sure that we were all okay with it. And I had heard stories that at some agencies, not all agencies, I know some are not like this, but we didn't know how to find good ones or bad ones or whatever. Some agencies, it's a money-making business and they have some persuasive tactics with expectant mothers that will maybe help them, push them, persuade them to um, place their babies for adoption, even if they were on the fence or, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's, they're not, not like, they're not forcing anybody, but. Are, those, are they the ones that come from like the clinics that look like abortion clinics, but no, and they push no, them? No, no, that, that's a whole, no, that's a whole other thing. There are some like legitimate agencies that some people will, if they told you they worked with them, they absolutely love them. Um, legit agencies, but they're, but they're just a little bit, um, they, they could be a little bit pushy and persuasive with the expectant parents. And we were not comfortable with even the idea of that happening. I knew that for me and what I am like as a human being, I needed to connect with this person and I needed to know that they were okay with their decision, you know, okay with whatever that means for them, but that we had some kind of a connection. And I kept hearing from people over and over again, that's not what you need. What you need is a healthy baby. And I was like, actually, no, you don't know me. I'm not just looking for a healthy baby. I'm looking for a situation where I can live with myself and I can go to sleep at the, at the end of the night and feel like this is what everybody chose. So that's why we went for private adoption, which is where you get a lawyer and then you look for, um, basically look for an expectant mother or put it out there so that someone can find you. I remember. So this was something also I had no idea was a thing, but your profile, your family profile, you had to put up a web page. Um, it was basically yeah. like back in the days when we were on dating websites, you know, we had our, yeah. our dating yeah. profiles, but it was like your family dating profile, basically. Yeah, exactly. It totally was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we had to kind of put ourselves out there and we're pretty private people. So, you know, we, and you know, we're not sharing last names and you get a separate phone number. So no one knows exactly who you were or where you live, but we, you kind of have to put yourself out there. Um, and so someone saw all the stuff that we put out there and reached out to us who was planning to place her baby for adoption. Um, and we connected and we've gone through some 
um, scammy kind of situations before that, you know, you put yourself out there and you don't know what you're going to get. So there were some scammers and they weren't too hard to tell who they were. We had some disappointing situations or people that just stopped speaking with us. Um, but it really didn't take us that long. Once we get to that, got to that point, I would say a, a real six months of really putting ourselves out there, which I know is not very long in that world. That, was this um, the first one, um, where you were kind of limited? And I think, you know, one of the, the big misconceptions about adoption that gets sort of spread in movies and TV shows, I'm thinking of like lifetime movies where you meet a nice pregnant girl and you take her in and give her a home and then you adopt the baby. And it's like, knowing what I know now, it's like that would never in a million years happen. You know, it's it's yeah. so many things wrong with that situation. Um, was that the one who is who is struggling financially, but you couldn't help her because of the laws? Yeah. So actually, no, that was a different situation. That was a situation we walked away from. Um, and we, you know, we walked away from that because it that's hard to explain, but it just didn't feel right for whatever reason. We couldn't put our finger on it, just something about it. But, but yeah, the laws in New York are such that you can't help people um, until you get to a certain point, until there is proof of pregnancy and certain things are laid out. You can't help someone until they're, I think, seven months pregnant where she was, I think, four months pregnant. So we couldn't help like, her. It was like, Whereas not even there, with like basic prenatal care, access to basic prenatal care. Like you couldn't help with that. Couldn't yeah. Anything. Yeah. We couldn't do anything. Um, and that's hard. That's where some, where some of the laws are kind of tricky. Um, but the other side of that is there are some places where the laws are, you can pay for everything. And then you might, you still not might end up with a baby. Right. Right. Well, exactly. Right. I know, I, I don't know personally, but I, you know, just some other people in like Facebook groups that I'm in that people will lay out, it's like $30,000 just to help support somebody or to help, you know, whatever expenses there are. And then it, that doesn't mean that you are adopting a baby at the end of that. Um, and so that's why the laws are in place. It's, you know, a bit of protection, but it, it's, it's complicated that I don't, I don't know, like, I wouldn't say which laws are good or bad or whatever. Every situation is totally different from the next. So it's hard to say what is okay and what isn't. I will say this though. My lawyer doesn't know this. Um, it doesn't really matter now, but I had, I don't know if I ever asked you this. I had friends. I really wanted to help somebody with something simple. I forgot what it was. I couldn't do it. Oh but yeah. I you, you had gave me do it. Money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gave friends money and then I had them send her something. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like it's $50 I, for something that I want to It was like help. I had to send it to your mom. Like you sent me. Right. Uh, I was I like, we're, I we're in a money it. laundering ring that you're sending me money and I'm having to send it to your mom. Um, right. Like $50. Yeah. Um, I, cause I, cause legally, if we were to move forward with that adoption, it could have been a problem, you know, probably wouldn't, but it could have been. So and you would, you know, I didn't want to risk it, but I'm like, this is ridiculous. I help people all the time, all the time just with people. If somebody needs help, I will help people. So the fact that I couldn't help this person, whether we adopted her or baby or not, I just wanted to help her and I couldn't. <laughs> so it was like, this is not right. So it's, it's complicated. Yeah. I just, to, to put that all in context, Heather is one of the most generous people I have ever known. And, you know, I need to help people. This is my life calling. I have to help people. So don't tell me I can't because I have to. I mean, every every year you do the whole um, Christmas gift um, 
Facebook yeah. group um, and organize all the families and what they need. And yeah, so you're just yeah. like that by nature. So but it's probably like help somebody with their groceries. I'm like, ah, that doesn't work for me. I'm going to find a way. pregnant with your potential baby? Like, yeah, that makes no right. sense. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Anyway, so you found Anyways, someone. I don't have too many details because it's, you know, it's like my daughter's story and her story, and but it ended up being a really good situation and we have an open adoption and um, we might go and visit her family this year. And so it's it's worked out pretty well so far. I know adoption is complicated and we'll deal with things as they come up, but it was it was more along the lines of what we were hoping for. Yeah. So I, I do remember, I think one part that we can share is that um, she was not a first time mother and you thought she was in labor. And so you sort of picked up yeah. everything and moved to a state in the middle yeah. of the country. And you weren't sure whether you were, you were going to be there for like a week or what. And it ended up being, was it six? There for five yeah. weeks. Yeah. And she didn't give birth when we thought she was going to, she went into labor early with her previous child. So we thought, well, she sounds like she's going into labor. She's having contractions. Mm -hmm. Let's go. So we were there for two weeks hanging out before she gave birth. Right. And then, then again, because of the adoption laws there, you couldn't, even once you left, you weren't able to go straight back to New York state. I remember that because we were like, maybe we can meet up in Massachusetts and hang out. (laughs) I know because we weren't allowed back in New York yet. Yeah, that's an, a whole other complicated part. Yeah. Oh, now laws. you have your two. <laughs> I do. So now I have a five-year-old and an almost three-year-old. And I finally feel like, okay, I my family is here. We went through hell to get them here, but it feels like the trauma of that has faded mm-hmm. a lot, um, which is nice. And it feels like we're just kind of like doing the family thing now. And Yeah, that's so... I mean, I should probably ask. I think the answer is no, but <laughs> no. God, no, we're not having another. <laughs> no, my God, no. Yeah. Um, two, two is good. I'm two sure good. also parenting two children under the age of five during a, a pandemic. pandemic so. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't recommend doing it during a pandemic if you have any choice in the yeah, no, we're good. We're good. good. Well, <laughs> I'm so glad you you shared your story here. It's definitely a complicated one. You have so much stuff going on and it really is, you know, you got the happy ending, um, even if it wasn't the good. way that you had envisioned uh, at the start. So I know you are very outspoken about your fertility journey and you know you share things all the time just to raise awareness um what are some things you know I know I know we've had a lot of like fuck the universe um text messages between the two of us or there's a lot of um muting and unfollowing people sometimes when they're being insensitive or just you know in general posting 9 million baby bump pictures and updates of their babies when someone's struggling with infertility. Um, what are some things that that really people want to be sensitive about, um, especially when they're putting things out on social media? So, and I know people feel different ways about this. I always feel like I want to be sensitive to the 
the people struggling. So, and I know other people feel like, well, I can't, I'm just going to put out what I want and I can't control how others feel about it. Don't look. Well, I mean, so many people go through infertility, Mm -hmm. so many. So if you're a woman that got pregnant easily, I'm sure you have a friend going through infertility and she's probably not telling you about it. If you don't know about it already, she probably is just not telling you. Um, I just think it's good to be sensitive when you're, if we're talking about social media, when you're posting things, um, just be mindful, just be mindful. What, what am I going to put up? If someone who's struggling with infertility, um, how are they going to feel about this? And that doesn't mean don't post pictures of your kids or don't post about if pregnancy is difficult or whatever, but, um, I don't know. I think if you just can remember that someone, you know, is going through it, maybe someone, you know, just had a miscarriage. I don't know. Maybe it'll change your perspective of what you're posting. Certainly those stupid pregnancy jokes and April fool's things. Those are terrible. Um, I mean, I think, you know, and another thing that's important is when your friend who exists somewhere, if someone does tell you what they're going through, you know, all the things you should and shouldn't say, I think is even more important. One thing I remember when I was going through it, you told me that you had looked up how to be there for a friend going through something like this. And I was so moved by that because I was like, oh my God, she looked up because she didn't know and she wanted to be there for me. I was so touched by that. I sent because you a box on the day of your termination with um, tea and you chocolate and like socks. <laughs> yes. yes. So, that, I mean, that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of stuff that shows that you're there with somebody. It's like, it's that little, that little meme, that little cartoon that's like, just go, if someone's having a hard time, just go and snuggle up with them and be there. That's what people need. They don't need you to say your time will come, your baby will be here, everything happens for a reason. It's just, you know, all of that stuff. Um, don't give up. I hate that one too. That one really bugs me. Um, yeah. Because there was a conversation, there was conversation in the in some of the infertility groups that I was in, and some people decided, you know what, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. They were putting their lives on hold and some people didn't come out of it with a baby. And so I always think about when I hear don't give up because you know what, sometimes you need to just stop because this is not good for your mental health. So, and you don't know where somebody's at. So yeah, I don't like, don't give up. I mean, some people look, if someone wants a baby badly enough, they're not going to give up and they'll keep going, whatever. They don't need you to tell them not to give up. They don't need you to tell them if you had a miscarriage, at least you can get pregnant. They don't, they already know all this. They've said it to themselves. Just get them a fuzzy blanket, tell them you love them and say something like, I have no idea what you're going through, but I love you. And I'm here for my MO is usually you would say this sucks. And I would say it, it sucks. (laughs) Tell them this fucking sucks. sucks. um, I think it's that toxic positivity bullshit for sure. Like, you know, that don't give up or just relax. Or my friend's friend went on vacation and they got pregnant. It's like, Oh, don't even start with that. Do people will do that? Oh my God. Um, you know, and I think the other thing, just to make people aware of, you know, if, if you are pregnant and you're posting your pregnancy pictures or your, your baby was just born and you're posting your baby pictures, like do not take it personally. If female friends of yours unfollow you or mute you, because it likely has absolutely nothing to do with you. Um, 
but it can be hurtful to, you know, sort of pop onto social media for fun and relaxation and just get assaulted with, you know, PTSD essentially. I had to get off Facebook for a while after, um, our, our termination, that loss, I, I had to just get off. I couldn't be on it at all. And then I actually created a separate Facebook profile, which I don't use anymore, but it was basically just to talk about that stuff, just to have like safe people on it. Cause I felt so raw and I just couldn't handle any of possible triggers. And also, you, um, you know, like with Facebook groups, like private groups, like you're never really sure yeah. who can see if you're in a group or, yeah. you know, so there, it, you really can't be anonymous on Facebook because it's, it's tied to your profile where on, on Instagram, you can make a million burner accounts and no one's ever going to know it's you. Yeah, Although Facebook does suggest people to you based on who you're friends with. I rem- I don't remember what you, you created an Instagram, um, Finsta for at one point, but, su- but Instagram suggested you as a friend for me and you were, Oh, I think you were working out. You were like committing to working out or something like, um, you were like, how did you know about that? I'm like, Mark Zuckerberg told me. <laughs> um, So I know, you know, you definitely are the type to join all the Facebook groups and read all the books and find all the websites. So what are some of, you know, the best resources that you found when you were going through all of this? You, I think you were also like in Reddit groups too. Is that right? There were some. So I, I wasn't on Facebook a lot in those days. I was on Reddit a lot and I liked it because it was anonymous and um, I certainly didn't know anybody there. I became close with people from there, but it was, um, it just felt safer, I guess. So there are infertility Reddit groups, there are um, loss, pregnancy loss groups, there, there's every group you can imagine. There's um, it, like in every facet of what could be going wrong with fertility issues. You can find it on Reddit. So that was what I went to, but even more now on Facebook, there are a ton of groups as well. But I, I imagine if I was going through it now, I'd, I'd probably jump into Facebook a little bit more because there, there are a, a million support groups there as well, but it's easier to run into people, you know, <laughs> and, and so you might want that or you might not, you know, it depends on where you are with the whole thing. But I, I did a ton of online support groups. I mean, that's really where I found my support. I wasn't talking to people in real life about it, except for, you know, close, close friends like you and three or four other people my family. Um, so I did everything online and I was on those chat groups, you know, all the time because those were the people that got it. And I just needed to be around people that understood. And that was it. I seems to remember some drama. Well, always, <laughs> yeah. Well, hormonal women that are like anxious and depressed. So yeah, there was, there was always drama, but you know, <laughs> it, it was like so-and-so is saying something about this and other people don't think she should be here. And it's just, yeah, that sort of, there was a lot of crap, but, but overall it was really helpful when I, when I needed Good. it. Good. Have you stayed connected with any of those people? I have. Yes, there are. I've met, I think one or two in real life now, and I'm still connected. And now I'm like actual Facebook friends with at least four or five of the people. And we, and we're, 
yeah. And we're all kind of like, oh my God, look, we made it every once in a while. It's like, holy shit, look, I have a kid. He's four. Oh my God. It's still sort of amazing to all of us after what we went through. So yeah. I mean, when you go through the trenches with people, like you're both at your worst together, it's, it bonds you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, as, as, as a supportive friend, it was just heartbreaking for me month after month after month, you know, it's, it's, um, I know not, not all friends are able to, uh, stick with you through that journey. So it is hard. I mean, it's, it's hard today still, if, if, you know, one of my clients is having a miscarriage or something, it's like, you know, being someone who's so empathetic, it's like, like, I feel that in my soul too, you know? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to just see people in pain and there's nothing you can do except be there. You can't make it better. And that's, it's hard to be on that end of it. Yeah. Again, like down with that toxic positivity. Um, one of my, one of my favorite sayings is it's okay to not be okay. You know, it is. Um, it, it's totally okay to not be okay. And you'll have days when you're okay again, maybe, you know, um, but at the moment it sucks it's at the moment it. it sucks and I'm sending you some chocolate. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm so glad you were able to come on and share your story with me. I always like to wrap up with sort of one thing that you would want people who are struggling with infertility right now to take away from this episode? Um, oh God. I mean, the, the trusting my gut thing mm-hmm. in terms of, um, and that was the big lesson for me, trusting my gut in terms of what did I think was right? What I like, the doctor in um, North Carolina suggested that, cause he didn't know what was wrong with me. So he suggested that I have my fibroid removed because he thought maybe that was a problem. And I was like, my fibroid, that's been there forever. I don't really see that as the issue, but I didn't have any other things that I might've just gone and said, sure, take my fibroid out if um, I hadn't found the real problem, but it didn't feel right. I'm like, I just, that's, that doesn't seem right. Um, so trusting your gut, not always easy to trust your gut. It's gut. It's not always easy to trust, to know what's anxiety, what's actually my gut, but it's not an easy thing to do all the time. But sometimes you just know this feels right. This feels wrong. Um, regardless of if somebody telling you you're nuts or somebody's telling you you're or wrong. it's bogus. <laughs> yeah. So I think that for me, that was the biggest lesson out of it. What do you think is the right direction to go in now? What feels right when you sit and really take stock of what's going on with you. Um, the other thing is, I mean, it's such hell, um, find other people that are going through it. There are so many people going through it. Even if you don't want to talk to people in your real life about it, find people. There will be millions of women in Facebook groups or Reddit groups or other chat groups that are going through it and you'll find people to connect with. It's, it's so important, I think, to find other people that know what you're going through. So you don't feel alone. You're already going to feel alone enough with like all your friends are having babies. You'll already feel that, but you don't have to feel it everywhere. So find some support in whatever way that works and therapy. I mean, God, (laughs) yes, always therapy, but you know, but like I actually wasn't, I, I've been in lots of therapy in my life that during that period of time, because I just moved to North Carolina, I didn't have a therapist that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So this, the support groups were really, you know, it for me until I, you know, yeah, that was the, the pre COVID days before uh, therapy telehealth was a thing. <laughs> yes. 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 Now it's so much more accessible everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really, really important to remember is that you're not alone. And, you know, when you do find people who are going through the same things, you have that shared common language because, you know, I mean, back then I didn't do what I do now. I was still in school. Um, you know, I wasn't nearly as familiar with all of the aspects of fertility treatment as I am now. So, you know, when you're talking to someone about the medications and all of that, I just remember the, the shock I had when I saw your belly for the first time, um, from the, from, from the Lovenox yeah. where you were just essentially yeah. like a bruise from your neck to your hip bones, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, yeah, finding those people who have that shared language and the shared experience so that they, they actually know what you're going through. Um, yeah. having to explain but don't it. doubt your other friends too, because some may step up. Well, no, as I said, you, you have to confide in the, the real friends that you know will, can handle it and will be there mm-hmm. for you. Like, you know, this person's not going to tell you it's okay it all happens for a reason. It's going to be fine. And then they just like disappear because they don't know what to say. Like, don't tell those friends who you think might react that way. You tell the people that you know will be there for you, even in all the ugly, ugliness of it. Because it's ugly. I was so angry. Mm-hmm. I was, ugh, I had really negative, horrible thoughts about other people. I mean, I was just, I wasn't okay. It's such a roller coaster yeah. too, month to month. Because it's, yeah you know, you're living two weeks of your life kind of hopeful and then two weeks of your life really not knowing if you're pregnant or not. And then just devastating every time you get your period. So um, really it's understandable to feel ugly. Yeah. Uh, as my, as my therapist likes to say, life isn't fair. <laughs> Whoever told you life was supposed to be fair. <laughs> My, my son seems to think it's supposed to be fair. So I'm working on that one. <laughs> yeah, just telling him life's not fair. I'm trying to find a nicer way to share with him that that's the case. Yeah, well, that's just siblings, you know, <laughs> having a sibling. Um, so thank you so much. Um, we're actually recording on my birthday. So this is a very special. Happy birthday. I wasn't sure if I was allowed to tell everybody that it was your birthday. Happy birthday, special Melissa. Happy birthday episode. I think this is slated to, to air yeah. in March. Um, but thank you so much. And I love you so much. And I am so glad that you got the family. You (laughs) thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. Bye. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of hormonally yours with the hormone dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.